Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. From the blackest corners of your mind, they call, pulling you deep into shadow, twisting your senses, keeping you from sleep. It's time to face your darkest fears. This is Tales to Terrify. Good evening, children of the night, and welcome. As the days grow shorter, the evenings cooler and crisper, and the leaves start their slow decay, I can't help but feel that giddy sense of delight at another autumn creeping in. Other than the fact that it's the gateway to the much maligned winter season, is there really anything like the feeling of fall? Sure, A big part of that is that store shelves, bookstores, and streaming services are all brimming with horror content. But there's something about the feel of the season that just resonates deep inside, you know? It makes me feel more clear-headed, more motivated and inspired, restless and eager to explore. Sounds like the perfect time for a road trip. Don't you think? To honor our growing base of amazing Patreon supporters, we've been hard at work devising ideas and selecting fiction to sweeten the deal and provide more value to our subscribers. So, starting sometime in the next few weeks, we'll be launching a revamped Patreon that includes extended episodes and regular bonus content. 
one of which is something you won't want to miss. The return of our popular Dark Travels segment. We've got some delightfully horrific stops planned for our patrons that I'm sure you're going to love. Stay tuned for more details in the coming weeks or join us over on Patreon to get the first look at updates as we have them. Patreon.com slash Tales to Terrify. Also, don't forget that Patreon also gives you access to our official Discord channel, where you can interact with staff, writers, and narrators. This week, our episode goes out to patrons Tyler Bean, Alice, and Rob McDonald. We contemplated a blood sacrifice in your honor, but decided a heartfelt shout-out on the podcast was the more appropriate response. Thank you so much for your generosity and support. Now, let's unlock this dark tome and unleash the darkness you all showed up for, shall we? Our story this evening comes to us from Patrick Barb. Patrick Barb is a freelance writer and editor from the southern United States, currently living, and trying not to freeze to death, in St. Paul, Minnesota. An active member of the Horror Writers Association, his short fiction appears in Boneyard Soup magazine, Not One of Us, and Dose of Dread, among other publications. For more information, check out patrickbarb.com or follow him on Twitter at Barb. Children of the night, join me for Patrick Barb's The Other Half of the Battle, a Tales to Terrify original. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When the soldiers came for us, I didn't think we were standing anywhere near that old freezer, with its rusted-out hinges and cobweb-draped interior. I dropped the joint I'd taken from my big brother Mark's room the second I saw these strange-looking dudes crashing through the piles of useless shit sprinkled around the Ryerson junkyard. The two men marched in lockstep, waving their hands as if we wouldn't have noticed them otherwise. One of them called out to the three of us, me, Carlos, and Noah. Get away from there, kids. Trying to look as casual as possible, I got the J under the heel of my converse and ground thin zigzag paper and shag weed into the gritty dirt. And no great loss, considering Mark would constantly roll up and then forget joints around our house. What's the principle of the thing? Yo, should we run, or... That was a typical Noah question. Dude was so naturally paranoid he didn't need mind-altering substances. Carlos and I loved to get him riled up. Called him Just Say Noah. It was so funny to see Noah sputter and stutter, trying to list off every time he'd gotten high. Like both me and Carlos hadn't been there for all of them. Fuck no. Carlos responded exactly how I'd expected him to. He answered just loud enough that I was worried the two jacked-up soldiers, whose twin shadows were falling across us, a trio of eighth-grade stoners playing hooky, had heard him. I can't pinpoint why my brain immediately pegged the duo as some kind of military. God knows I'd seen enough guys take the underachiever-to-soldier pipeline growing up in this nowhere town. Especially kids from our side of town. Lots of Mark's friends. Guys would join up and get a free ride to college, plus the chance to kick some commie ass for Reagan. Minus the college part, it seemed like a dream come true for most of them. Of course, too many of them came back home on their first leave with a look in their eyes that was off. One of the soldiers heading our way had that look. He wore his blonde hair and a high and tight crew cut, and there were more American flags sewn on his outfit than you'd see in a boardwalk beach towel shop on the 4th of July. But at the same time, there was nothing uniform about what high and tight and his partner had on. I certainly didn't think Dad would recognize their outfits from any of the John Wayne flicks he'd love to tell us about over dinner. High and Tight wore a skin-tight neon green top with shoulder pads straight out of a Saturday afternoon sci-fi flick. The gun holstered to his leg had a rounded design and glowing lights along the barrel. It was more like a prop than an actual weapon that might have actual bullets in its chambers. The cuffs of High and Tight's camo pants were tucked into his thick-soled silver combat boots. I wasn't even sure Prince could pull off that look. Whoa, what are you boys doing out here? His voice sounded too loud. Not like he was yelling or screaming, but 
deeper, amplified somehow, like it came from speakers. And worse, didn't line up with the movement of his lips. Everything was just a half-syllable off. Seeing that, I started wondering what the hell my brother could have sprinkled in the ruined joint under my sneaker. At least Carlos didn't seem bothered. He'd always been the stubborn one, and he showed it again by engaging high and tight in a little impromptu staring contest. He shaded his eyes with his hand, trying to avoid the sunlight's glare reflected off the soldier's sparkling uniform. Then Carlos smiled that big, shit-eating grin of his, the one that dimpled his cheeks. He had that kind of look that made me think he was either destined for greatness or great trouble. But that smile of his was cut off before full bloom. The black-masked man, high and tight's companion, dropped his black leather-glove-clad hand down on Carlos's shoulder. He'd moved too fast for us, like he'd hidden the seconds when we blinked our eyes, waiting for the right time to strike. Lean and muscled, the mystery man wore black from his head to his toes. The tight-fitting black spandex bodysuit and thigh-high combat boots made him look like an aerobics instructor who listened to too much cure. But the leather gloves, the ebony-handled sword strapped to his back, and his featureless black mask gave an entirely different, much more intimidating impression. The mask, for lack of a better word, completely covered his head. But unlike the bodysuit, it didn't look like this face covering was made from any fabric I'd seen before. There was no stitching, no seams. I didn't see the telltale signs of cloth being sucked in and out with every breath he took. If he took any breaths. And the color? It was blacker than black. The only time I'd seen darkness like that was when Dad took me and Mark to Carlsbad Caverns. At one point in our cave tour, the guides had all the lights turned off just to give everyone a sense of how dark it could get down there. The whole stunt probably lasted no more than 30 seconds. But in that pitch-black half-minute, I squeezed the hell out of Dad's and Mark's hands. I didn't care if they'd call me a baby the whole car ride home. I came out of that experience feeling like I'd stared death in the face. And now it looked like death was back again in the form of the black-masked man, who had his grip on Carlos's shoulder and wouldn't let go. That mask was not so much made from something as it represented... Emptiness. Absence. Noah and I stared into that abyss, and the black-masked man used his free hand to waggle a long black finger, like the leg of a tarantula, in Carlos's face. Remember, boys, it might seem cool to play around with old freezers, like that one over there. But they're a real danger. What would happen if one of you got stuck in there? High and tight strange question might have been the only thing to pull me back from oblivion. My friends would get me out, sir. I don't think any of us expected Noah would be the one to answer. Uh-huh, I added, wanting to at least say something. Noah working up the courage to say something to those weapons-toting strangers, with their hulking pro-wrestler physiques standing in front of us, shocked me more than the soldier's initial appearance had. Of course, once Noah had spoken up, it was clear he regretted it. The black-masked man lifted his hand from Carlos's shoulder. Without release, Carlos sagged like some heavy burden had been removed. He shuffled away, putting as much distance as he could between himself and the black-masked man. I knew things, bizarre as they were at the moment, were actually shaping up even worse for us, but seeing Carlos drained of his bluster helped it sink in. Think again. Your friends won't always be there when you make bad decisions, like deciding to climb inside an abandoned freezer in a junkyard. 
I read the name tag high and tight had sewn across his pectoral. Cliff. No last name, just Cliff. Cliff and the black-masked man swept Noah up between them before Carlos or I could react. Again, it was like the junk food TV we watched. This time it was like the cheap after-school cartoons we'd binge while putting off pre-algebra homework. All those shows that were just meant to sell action figures and their accessories, where they'd skimp on the animation costs, resulting in jittery jump cuts in the action. One second they were going to grab Noah, and the next they were already carrying him away. One held him by his wrists and the other by his ankles. Stretched out like a dead buck across the hood of a redneck's truck during hunting season, Noah tried to fight back. I'll give the guy that. Even though it was already too late, he kicked and writhed. He screamed for help until his voice cracked and he sounded like a kid again. His high-pitched cries echoed off the rusted fenders of the junkers that old man Ryerson kept around for scrap metal to sell. The way the two soldiers held Noah, I worried that if he squirmed the wrong way, he'd get both wrists and ankles snapped. But what were Carlos and me, two eighth-grade boys, supposed to even do? We were watching our friend, who moments before had been making us laugh with his not-half-bad Bill Murray and Ghostbusters impression, seeing him manhandled by these freaks. We weren't even in high school yet. In fact, high school was supposed to be the shitty consolation prize at the end of another long, drawn-out summer in our piece-of-shit town. At least we didn't run. That was the best we could offer Noah. I reached for Carlos's hand, not even thinking about what I was doing. He flinched at first contact, but then he squeezed my hand in return. Together, we followed Noah and his abductors, keeping a good distance away from Cliff, the black-masked man, and Noah. We all headed for that old freezer. The abandoned appliance's rectangular lid gaped open on hinges bleeding rust along the black rubber sealant, and giving the freezer the appearance of a monster slobbering blood around its dark lips. The orange power light around the rim was, of course, dull and dimmed. It became the freezer monster's dead, but still open eye. Never blinking, never looking away from when it was about to be fed. They dropped Noah into the freezer's waiting gullet without pause or ceremony. One second we could still see him, the next he was gone. I looked around the junkyard, hoping to see old man Ryerson or someone, anyone else who could come in to help us. But there was no one. That was by our design, though. We were the ones who'd picked this exact place and time to hang out and get stoned. Knowing we were the only ones who had to rely on the junkyard for a smoke spot, and because we knew Ryerson never missed his afternoon nap in the shed that served as his workplace slash home. It was up to us. Hey, hey, hey! I ran toward the strangers as they stared into the open freezer that held my friend. Carlos followed a half-second behind me. Hey, assholes, show us your badges! Other than the way his voice cracked like Noah's, Carlos's words echoed the slurred cries of his dad during his Saturday night benders, the ones that usually led to Carlos, his mom, and little sister, Pam, having to sleep over at my family's house until things cooled down. But for all our shouting, it was like we didn't even exist to those two strange soldiers. Standing with their backs to us, the duo remained indifferent to our cries. They had their hands on the freezer's lid. Someone, or something, groaned. They couldn't tell if it came from the old machine or Noah inside. Soon we were close enough that either Carlos or I could have reached out and grabbed Noah's abductors. We could have tried to give our friend a chance to crawl out of that freezer. But they had those weapons. A sword. Guns. I could have sworn I saw some grenades strapped to the both of them. 
and that was enough to keep us in check. Help! Carlos and I shouted together, united in despair and desperation. Noah may have cried out too, but I can't say for sure. The soldiers slammed the lid down, trapping Noah inside and sending up a mini mushroom cloud explosion of dust. The two costume men positioned themselves on either side of the closed-up freezer. That left a direct path for me and Carlos. We barreled down at full steam ahead. When we reached the freezer, I heard the muted pounding of Noah's small-for-our-age fists against the appliance's interior. I tilted my head, pressed my ear against the lid, trying to see if I could make out if Noah was yelling anything up at us. I didn't hear any words, just an undercurrent of sobs beneath a droning hum. I didn't have to ask Carlos if he heard those same sounds. Seeing him jam his index fingers into both ears and wriggle them with frantic intensity answered the question for me. Carlos got his hands under the freezer lid, his palms pressing up to the sky. I did the same. We pushed up as hard as we could, trying together and in separate, individual efforts. The seal around the freezer lid was tight. It wouldn't budge an inch. Seconds felt like minutes, and those minutes cascaded toward feeling like an agonizing lifetime. Something wet and pungent rolled down the bridge of my nose, leaving a bitter aftertaste as it passed my lips. I couldn't tell if it was my tears or my sweat. Combined with the pretty obvious piss stench rising out of the freezer's insulated membrane, we were all three of us experiencing something that the previous fourteen years of life could never have prepared us for. See what we mean, kids? You can never be too careful. The hell, man? Carlos spun around the second he heard those empty, meaningless, after-school special words. Right before he turned, I caught a glimpse of my friend's bloodshot eyes. They popped out like they could hop right off his face. He looked just like his old man. And like his dad, I think Carlos wanted to fight. But that's not what he got. No, nothing like a fight. Cliff and the black-masked man brushed us aside like indifferent tomcats swatting away mewling kittens. I felt my knees buckle at the touch of one black glove against my chest. I held it together, and so did Carlos. But we got out of the way of those soldiers all the same. They opened the freezer's lid like it was nothing at all. Noah sprung up like an overcranked jack-in-the-box. His tangle of dirty blonde hair looked like a bird's nest in a sweatbox. <laughs> thanks Whether Noah was thanking me and Carlos, or he'd gotten so mixed up in his head that he would thank the two strangers who trapped him in the first place, I couldn't say. The smile on Cliff's face, like some cheeseball politician posing for a photo, made it clear he'd taken Noah's gratitude as intended for him and his partner. I wondered if the black-masked man had a smile stretching out beneath the dark cover of nowhere and nothingness that hid his features away from sight. I hope you've learned a valuable lesson. Hanging out in abandoned freezers is not cool, Cliff said. Carlos's elbow dug into my side. Our eyes met. What's going on here? We high? He whispered. Before I could answer, the laughter started. The laughter had crept up on us and made itself known without warning, like cold hands to the backs of our necks. At the freezer, Cliff had his head tilted back at a sharp angle, his throbbing Adam's apple exposed. His laugh sounded more like the static at the wrong end of the AM dial. A staccato, ha, 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 faded in and out between roaring white noise. On the other side of the freezer, the black-masked man mirrored his compatriot's mannerisms though no sound emerged from the darkness over his face. 
Then there was Noah. Carlos and I heard Noah's sort of nervous chuckling plenty throughout our friendship. Like when he hadn't quite gotten one of the dirty jokes Carlos retold from his old man. We could tell Noah wanted to fit in so badly that he wouldn't dare do anything to risk possible alienation. Hence that laugh of his. He never wanted to be the outsider. Even among us, his fellow outsiders. Whenever he laughed like that, I wanted to tell him that he didn't need to try so hard. Maybe that would have made a difference. Instead of saying anything, I noticed the blood. Forcing his laughter out in time with the strangers, Noah coughed between his chuckles. With each cough, a fine mist of cranberry red exploded from his lips. Like pop-splattered bubblegum. I gasped, inhaling the copper scent of Noah's blood intermingled with the heat wafting off the black-masked man's unsheathed ebony-dyed sword blade. Once again, the masked man's movements were too fast. One moment, he pantomimed laughter. The next, he stood so stiff and angular, like some rock'em-sock'em sci-fi robot. He shoved his sword through Noah's chest and back out the other side. A saturated, razor-sharp tip scratched against the interior of the freezer lid splitting apart dangling cobweb strands. I looked over at Carlos. His face was as white as the black-masked man's was its opposite. I looked back at Noah, still standing up in the freezer, still laughing, too. His brain hadn't caught up with what had happened to him. Noah... I couldn't finish. Whatever words my fourteen-year-old brain could come up with seemed hopelessly inadequate. Luckily, I didn't have to torture myself trying to compose those final comforting words. A red beam, red like the exit sign letters on our middle school's back door, fell over me and then moved across Carlos's chest. And the light came back again. It came from Cliff's gun. As he aimed his weapon at us, I noticed that the beam of red light emanating from the gun was a shade lighter than the darker crimson covering the front of Noah's shirt. I heard a sound like a skewer pulled from raw meat. Noah followed with a tiny, insignificant-sounding grunt. His last word was nothing more than a confused and dreamlike... Huh? Move! Cliff didn't have to order us twice. And I don't think he would have. I threw myself one way and Carlos went the other. I landed face down on the ground, my arms and legs sprawled like I was a crash test dummy. Debris, rocks, screws, twigs, cat shit, and God only knows what else, strafed my elbows as I crawled away, trying to get clear of Cliff's line of fire. The mistake I made was looking back at the freezer. With my elbows bleeding into the dirt, I watched the black-masked man resheath his sword, and then draw his own laser blaster that looked like it had come straight out of Star Wars. Noah was already out of sight, crumpled up and thrown back down into the death-trap interior of the freezer. The lid came down on top of him again. My eyes stayed open. On the other side of the freezer, Carlos hadn't stopped to look like I had. He kept moving. Raising their guns, the soldiers bathed the dirty white exterior of the appliance in that cherry red. Then, they readied, aimed, and fired. Their blasts tore out of their shiny, high-tech barrels, screaming like the souls of the damned. Red-hot energy crackled in rapid-fire volleys one after another after another. Chunks of plastic and metal flew backward, forward, and to the sides, 
They dismantled the old freezer in seconds. Next came blood, bones, skin, and hair. One of my best friends in the world reduced to meat in seconds. Noah rained down on us all, sizzling. Blood boiled and hissed where it splashed my face. I scrambled backward on all fours. I shouted for Carlos over the chaos of the soldier's volley. I wanted him to be there for me. For Noah, too. But he didn't answer. He was already gone. Then I blacked out. Because the next thing I knew, colors flooded in on top of me. Like overeager pets greeting owners who've left them home alone too long. A steady beam of white light pierced through the initial multicolored chaos. Someone was alternating holding open one of my eyelids with one hand and shining a pen light in it with the other, then switching their hands and my eyes. I heard a voice just past the light. I struggled to move. Felt so out of it. Couldn't remember if I wanted to run or get away from the voice. From behind me, a second set of hands held me up by my arms. The person holding open my eyelids pulled their hand back from my face. Seconds later, their penlight's beam winked out. My eyes adjusted and I saw the soldier named Cliff standing in front of me. I didn't see any malice in his eyes, no murderous intent either. I swore that what I saw looked more like compassion, or at least some tough love variation of it. Easy there, recruit. I assumed he was talking to the black-masked man, who I'd quickly figured out was the one holding me upright from behind. When Cliff's steel-blue eyes locked on me, I knew I was the one his words were meant for. First time in the field? He asked the sort of question I'd hear in Dad's war movies. Unsure how to respond, I licked my lips, swallowed a couple of times. I took these great gulping breaths and something smelling like meat left out in the sun filled my nostrils. Noah. I gagged, tried to hold back the rising tide that wanted out from inside me. I wasn't strong enough to stop it. Black masked man held me so tight I couldn't even bend over to direct the spray of fast food burger chunks away from my body. It gushed down my chin and covered the front of my shirt. Some of it dripped onto the black masked man's gloves. Cliff laughed. Never gets better, how bad they smell, does it? He said. Night Sky and I were sure impressed by the way you led us to those two dragon soldiers, though. I don't... And I really didn't. Night Sky, as the former black-masked man was apparently named, released me. Two things followed, both of which surprised me. First, I was able to remain standing, and second, I chose to stay still and didn't immediately try to run for it. Looking down at the blood and gore-soaked ground, I caught sight of the trail left by Carlos's escape. He dragged himself through muck and entrails, making his way over to the cyclone fencing marking the border between old man Ryerson's junkyard fiefdom and the rest of the shitty, overgrown, left-to-rot part of our town that we all called home. I was alone with two killers who acted like they knew me. Please don't hurt me. I'd never had the quips or one-liners Carlos was always spouting off to our teachers, principals, and the asshole prep school kids from the other side of the tracks. Never saw him say anything like that to his old man, of course. 
That was one line he'd never crossed. Hurt you? Soldier, why would we hurt one of our own? Sheesh. There it was. That S word. Me and my brother Mark, we'd made a vow to never be soldiers. Mostly despite Dad and his hard-on for war, I think. At least for me. I didn't give a shit about the rest of it one way or another. I'm not a soldier. I'm not even in high school yet. I was speaking truth, but I checked myself over all the same. Like, I wanted to erase any lingering doubts about who the hell I was supposed to be to those two psychopaths. I studied my concave bird-like chest, covered up by a t-shirt two sizes too big. So you'll grow into it, Gram-Gram would say when she sent our clothes at Christmas time. My right hand still had the yellow blisters on my thumb from where I'd smoked one of Mark's old joints down too far. And so I returned to the only explanation that made sense, outside of the whole encounter, just being a really bad dream. I started to suspect maybe Nancy Reagan had been right all along. Drugs. Cliff and Night Sky had stepped away from me. Like I wasn't a threat. Like they weren't at all worried I might run. Their boots kicked rocks and dirt and crunched through freezer remnants and whatever was left of Noah. Cliff carried on a one-sided conversation with a silent companion. You hear that, Night Sky, old buddy? Sure you do. That vow of silence you took when you donned that black mask of yours didn't come with a vow of not listening. Recruits said drugs. Sounds like those dragon creeps are up to their old mind-altering brainwashing tricks again. Please, I just want to go home. But they weren't listening. I don't know why I didn't run. I don't know why I didn't follow Carlos. That was always the easiest thing to do in the past and got me through three shitty years of middle school. Hot, slick tears streamed down my face before I registered Night Sky's black-gloved hand slapping me across my cheek. The sting of his strike seemed to travel back in time to me. The crack of tough, treated leather against the soft fat of my cheeks came at the very end. An explanation provided too late. Through watery eyes, I gazed up into that black mask of his. I still saw nothing, but I felt... Everything. Every terrible emotion, every bad dream, and every unwanted thought, all of them sewn together into a patchwork quilt that got wrapped tight around my shoulders. Don't think, soldier. Thinking will get you killed out here on the battlefield, Cliff said. This isn't a battlefield, it's the town's junkyard. Yeah, you're right, soldier. Any battlefield is a junkyard where those scumbags from Dragon are involved. In the sharp teeth of the pine tree tops over on the west side of town had nearly devoured the setting sun. All I could think was, how long do I have to wait until someone comes for me? How long until someone even notices I'm gone? What does dragon stand for? Cliff asked me. They had guns and swords. What was I supposed to do? Not try to respond? I had no idea what the hell Cliff was talking about but I followed his orders when I tried to answer. I didn't think. Diabolical, renegade, armed guerrilla, occupying nation. I shouted my words up to a sky slashed with bloody reds and burnt oranges, all fading into bruised and battered purples. Sir! I threw the sir in at the end. Cliff and Night Sky nodded approvingly. 
Once I'd said the words, I expected something to happen. I waited for it. But they stood there. We all stood there. I looked up, down, and off to the sides, like that kid at the PTA night school play who never even knew they were having rehearsals or that he'd have lines. The hell's going on here? Old man Ryerson's voice, thick with an electric can opener gravel, cut through the strange, dreamlike tension. All three of us turned our heads when we heard him stomping through the debris. Ryerson reeked of old crow sweats, and he had what I hoped were gravy spatters visible on his overalls. The junk man stopped suddenly, swaying forward and back. Somehow he managed to stay balanced on the balls of his dirty sock-clad feet. I thought he'd topple over, or at least spew like I had, but then he righted himself at the last second, pinching the small of his own back with a gnarly liver-spotted hand. Air blew out of his mouth like he was trying to spit. It seemed the old-timer was all dried up inside, though. Nothing more than a walking, talking mummy. His bloodshot eyes looked ready to burn holes in a cliff in night sky. Well, hold up now. What the hell's going on here? Y'all boys ain't getting up to any nasty business here in my junkyard, I hope. Cliff marched forward, his hand extended for a no-doubt firm, all-American-style shake. His movements were stiff overly deliberate, rehearsed. It was none of the give-and-take you'd expect when watching a normal human being walk across a short distance to offer a stranger their hand. No worries at all, sir. We're securing the perimeter and we'll have that last dragon agent apprehended ASAP. Ryerson wiped the back of his hand across his wrinkled, sunburn-scarred forehead. Perimeter? Dragon agent? The hell are you talking about, son? The old man pivoted and pointed a trembling finger at me. You! I remember you now! Remember that brother of yours coming around here smoking reefer, too! What kind of trouble you getting into, boy? Y'all doing acid like those hippies give to kids on Halloween? That what this is? They're... soldiers. I wanted to call them killers, psychopaths, murderers. But those words wouldn't come out. They stayed buried deep down inside and I didn't know or understand why. Ha! Old man Ryerson laughed once, a long, loud screech. An owl or hawk or some other bird of prey looking for an early dinner cried out in solidarity. I assure you, citizen, Night Sky and I are part of an elite fighting force dedicated to protecting America from the evil machinations of Dragon, the diabolical renegade armed guerrilla occupying nation. Cliff kept his hand out, but it seemed pretty damn clear Ryerson had no intention of shaking it. Son, you ain't served. That smile on your face is too damn big. You ever hold your buddy's hand in some fucking backward commie country while you sing him his favorite Hank Williams and try to make him forget his guts are all laid out on his lap? You ever done that, huh? If you could piece together what he said with his words all slurred like a slowed-down cassette tape recording, Ryerson almost sounded eloquent. I just wanted to scream the whole time he spoke. Couldn't take my eyes off the bloodstains and brain matter splattered at the junk man's feet. I wanted to warn him, make him see how wrong the situation was. The word still wouldn't come. However, much to my surprise, I didn't have to say anything. Night Sky pulled his sword out and pointed the blade down at a sizable chunk of what had once been Noah. 
Jesus Christ, where the hell did you get that pig sticker from, son? Ryerson stopped talking about the sword and followed the blade down, down, down. The splotchy red coloring, like his face was a half-empty bottle of ketchup, drained from his weathered cheeks. He looked up at me like there were too many things he wanted to say, all trying to bubble out at once. Finally, he managed to say, Son? You okay there, son? I shook my head, trying to keep the motion small, indistinct. Subtle. I hoped the old man had gotten sobered up enough for the sight of Noah's blood and guts that he'd get it. I mean, he was a grown-up after all. An adult. There had to be something he could do to fix it and put everything right once again. Ryerson put his hands up. He kept on talking while taking a cautious step closer to me. Well, look here, fellas. I don't want any trouble here, okay? This here's my place of business and my home. Sure, it's a bit like me and there ain't too much to look at, but it's the best I got. So, if you all don't mind... Night Sky hadn't resheathed his sword. For all of his drunken buffoonery, Ryerson managed to move forward enough that he now stood inches away from me. He rose up on slight tiptoes and gazed over my shoulder at the strange-looking soldiers, or whatever the hell they were supposed to be. What I mean to say is, fellas, is... I don't want any trouble, so, uh, why don't you let the boy go, okay? Cliff laughed again. I watched his laughter have the same sickening effect on old man Ryerson that it had on me. Let him go? Why, this is what he signed up for, old-timer. If you served like you say then you should know that we can't let this young recruit go AWOL. God damn it, this ain't no recruit. He's a damn boy. Aren't we all? Everyone turned when that last question got asked. Even Cliff. He hadn't asked it. It had to have come from behind the black void of Night Sky's mask. You're crazy as what you are, all of you. Boy, come to me. Ryerson held out a trembling hand. My stomach growled. I couldn't tell if it was from delayed munchies or because it was so late at that point in the day, I'd likely miss dinner back home. As much as you could call microwaved frozen fish sticks a dinner. Before I could reach out and take old man Ryerson's hand, before I could speak, before I could even think, Cliff's voice blasted in my ears. Hey kid, watch out for oncoming traffic. You never know when a distracted driver might be out joyriding and not pay attention while you're running to catch your favorite ball. Something oval-shaped bounced in the dirt between me and Mr. Ryerson. We stared down at this new something, trying to make sense of the object as it landed in the dust and grit between us. The old man's eyes widened first, connecting to a past he'd seemingly been trying to drink away for years. Grenade! I don't know how much strength he carried around in those shriveled limbs of his, but at that moment... Adrenaline turned old man Ryerson into a superhuman. He shoved me, and I didn't fall. I flew back. My feet left the ground, and my arms windmilled like someone had poured ants down my shirt. I slammed into something hard, unmoving. Soon enough, I realized I'd returned to Cliff and Night Sky. Ryerson stood over the grenade, looking like he'd given away all he had left inside. Again, I saw that look of defeated acceptance like I saw in Mark's friends when college wasn't in the cards and they knew they'd have to drive to the recruiter's office over in the ghetto strip mall. Like that look, but 
different, more permanent, I suppose. Mark gave me that same look when he left at the start of the week, skipping out on the start of boot camp and stealing the revolver Dad slept with under his bed. He hadn't come back to get his weed like I thought he would. I was starting to realize he wouldn't be coming back at all. The growling in my stomach grew louder, so loud I couldn't so much as think. Ryerson kept staring at the grenade. I thought he'd reach down and touch it, and almost looked like he wanted to pick it up and make sure it was what it seemed to be. Part of me didn't blame him. The other part wanted to yell at him, Run! Get the hell out of here while you still have a chance! He looked up at the three of us. His mouth moved, but I couldn't hear what he was saying. The growls had reached a crescendo. The soldiers held me by the arms. They dragged me backward. The black and red tank crashed through the junkyard's cyclone fencing. Tank treads ground up metal, plastic, rocks, and dirt. The ebony paint job on the body reminded me of a black hole, swallowing up matter and crushing it into something less than nothingness. Old man Ryerson didn't have a chance to turn around and face the fast-approaching death wagon. He didn't get to see the ending to his tour of duty on planet Earth. The orange bloom of the grenade's delayed explosion flared at his feet, looking to spread fast and consume him. But then a larger predator, in the form of those grinding, growling tank treads, swallowed up man and fire alike. Cliff and Night Sky held onto me. They had their guns out. Laser blasts like psychedelic blacklight poster effects rippled through the narrowing space between us and the tank. Ping, ping, ping. Like pennies bouncing off the bottom of an empty wishing fountain. The tank deflected their blasts and kept moving forward, forward, forward. Don't worry, recruit. We won't let these dragon bastards win. I nodded like I knew what the hell he was talking about. Faced with everything I'd seen, it was easier just to believe. I had to accept that he... that they... really were fighting some war against invaders on American soil. I accepted it all. Two guys in silly costumes were one thing. But a tank with blood-colored, black-veined dragon's wings extending from its turret was another matter altogether. I also decided I couldn't accept getting ground up by some damn tank. I shrugged one of my arms free. They let me go. The tank rolled closer. Closer. I reached behind me and grabbed Night Sky's mask. My fingers felt cold. Colder than they'd felt before. But I held on. I wouldn't let go. Give me a gun. The tank stopped. Its top panel popped open. I should have known it'd be Carlos standing there. For a second I thought I saw him smiling. There was the Carlos I remembered. The one who'd drawn me and Noah into his orbit. There was the smile that radiated so much confidence, bravado, and sheer, unbridled, fuck-the-world energy. It was gone just as quickly. Carlos held his hands up. He looked down and studied the three of us. Cliff, Night Sky, and me. The seasoned veterans and their newest recruit. He started talking once he saw I had a gun. Dex, come on. We gotta get out of here. These guys... Whatever the fuck they are, they're everywhere. All across the side of town. Fighting, killing. It doesn't make any sense, man. There's no war here. War's out there. He swept his arms across the sky in these widening arcs, 
like he could never capture the sense of scale for what he'd experienced. I realized why that look of his failed to impress me in the junkyard, with him sitting up in that tank. I saw how weak his smile was. He was just a kid pretending to be tough, but missing the mark when it came time to be a man. From a distance I heard other sounds. War sounds, explosions, laser blasts, and rallying cries shouted into the night. I smelled our town burning, inhaled the slick scents of spilled oil and blood. Come on, Dexter, quit pointing that thing at me, man. You know me. Why are you in the tank? My new companions flanked me and nodded, approving of my question. I don't know, man, I thought it'd be safe. It's easier to drive than I thought. Like driving Dad's truck back from the bar. Figured I could come back and get you. I know... I didn't let him finish. The single blast from the gun turned his head into a rose-red blossom graffitied on the underside of the hatch. Good shooting, recruit. I wanted to tell Cliff, thanks. Or maybe say, he said he knew, but knowing's only half of it. But it didn't matter. I was just another recruit pulled into the never-ending war machine. Soviets, Viet Cong, or whatever the hell Dragon was. It'd always be somebody we needed to fight. One way or another, I think I always knew I'd end up here. Either I could accept it, or end up dead and rotting. Like Noah. Like Carlos. And, yeah, probably like Mark. A fever dream of war, fought by cliché-spouting action-figure soldiers brought to life from the cartoons and sugary cereal boxes, took over the world. What else was I supposed to say? Let's roll out, troops. I sounded like someone pulled a string on my back and I'd cycled through my catchphrases until I found the perfect one. I'd survived the Battle of the Junkyard, but my time at war had just started. That was Patrick Barb's The Other Half of the Battle, as read by Anthony Babington. Anthony Babington is an aspiring voice actor who looks just slightly off from how he sounds. From his secret volcano lair in Minnesota, he narrates podcasts and leases his soul to corporate America. He has previously recorded for Far-Fetched Fables, Starship Sofa, and The Cursed Inn Podcast. He can be found on Twitter as at Aleph Baker. Thank you, Anthony. Well, children of the night, the hour is late and we've run out of tales to tell. For now. Tales to Terrify is made possible by the tremendous generosity of our supporters on Patreon and PayPal. Amazing fans like Kathy Robinson, aka Deadly Blonde. If you're not a supporter already, be like Kathy. Head over to patreon.com slash tales to terrify, where you'll find all kinds of perks, from ad-free episodes and bonus content, to shoutouts and merch packs. 
Every dollar goes back into the show to help make it as dark and devious as possible. And we appreciate it so much. Want another way to support the show that doesn't cost a cent? Head over to Stitcher, Podchaser, or Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. You'll not only put an unnaturally wide smile on our faces, but help new listeners discover our terrifying tales, too. Now you can share your love of the show out in the world with some Tales to Terrify merch. TalesToTerrify.com slash merch will take you to our Tee Public store, where we've got a great collection of creepy custom and curated designs that's always growing, so check back often. Tales to Terrify is produced by Seth Williams, Pete Morsellino, Meredith Morgenstern, Brian Rollins, and myself, Drew Sebastini, with original theme by Nebulous Entertainment. Tales to Terrify is distributed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Join us again next week as we're swallowed in creeping darkness by more Tales to Terrify. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.